turn uh, to the Gospel of John. Pastor Dale was here last week. It's a, it's a great joy. I know I wasn't here, but I know it was a great joy to hear him preach. And for those of you that didn't know, that was his first full sermon he ever preached. He does our calls to worship, but that was his first full sermon. And uh, Pastor Dale is very dear to me. Uh, I, I have known him for years, but I began to spend time with him maybe about uh, four years ago. And I was a, a pastor at that time, just been a pastor for about a year or so, and began to spend time with him going out witnessing and talking with him and his interaction with the people there at Cornerstone. And I thought to myself, oh, he's doing the work of a pastor. That's what he's doing. So I began slowly to... Uh, talk with him and, and to encourage him to become a pastor, kind of persuade him and cajole him into the office. He, uh, and uh, and uh, now he's been serving faithfully there for, uh, for maybe, I think, three years or so, something like that, three or four years. So he's a great blessing to us, and I pray that his preaching was uh, a blessing to you. Let's turn now to the Gospel of John. We return to the Gospel of John. And I will be reading verses 1 through 5. The Gospel of John, verses 1 through 5. And hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Amen. Amen. The psalmist writes in Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I would encourage all of you to have this mindset when you come to church on Sunday. We come here not as a tradition not as a moral practice only. But we should come expecting, expecting to hear a word from God preached to us, a word that will enable us to live in this world with joy and confidence. We should come with eyes that are looking to the hills, looking to the mountains. And here the psalmist, really, he paints this picture of someone looking above and beyond themselves. Uh, they didn't have skyscrapers, you know, the way that we do in that time, buildings so high. So but the highest points were mountains. So they, that's where they would look to, look to the highest point on earth. Seek there. Why? That's where their God was in heaven. That's where, that's where our God is now. And that's where our help comes from. The Lord 
who made the heavens and the earth. Augustine writes, Do you wish to see what a design of God is the Lord Jesus Christ? What the purpose of Christ is? What the purpose of the word of God is? Mark the fabric of the world. View that it was made by the word. For those of you that are up here visiting, you, you, you probably get the impact, right? The color, the beauty of the color, the beauty of the mountains. And if you do the touristy things, uh, you're, you're taken back by the beauty of creation. Maybe some of, you, some of you from up here, when you travel down to Florida and you feel the humidity, you remember the world's fallenness. <laughs> no, but when you visit and you see the beaches, right? clear water beach and places like that that are very beautiful. You're taken back and you think to yourself, Lord, what a magnificent creator that he would create this world for men and women like us to enjoy for his glory, not for selfish aims, but he's done this for us. And in our fallenness and in our sin. The God who made this world then gives his son to us that we might be saved. So we learn then from looking at the fabric of this world to view the word in high esteem. And this is the one from whom our help comes. The one who made the heavens and the earth. And here in verse, verse 2, John writes, He was in the beginning with God. This may seem like an unnecessary repetition. Look back at the uh, second part of, well, uh, look back at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God, verse 2. It might just seem like an unnecessary repetition, but that is not the case at all. The he here is emphatic. In, in some translation, you will have the word was in the beginning instead of he. Or you could even make it really emphatic and say this one and that's John's point here. He's, he's, he's given us this wonderful description. In the beginning was the Word. There, when God created, before God created, really, the heavens and the earth, the Word was there with God. The one who reveals God to us was there. And not, not only was he there, but he was there with God, verse 1. He had this close, personal relationship to the Father. And this is the one who was sent into the world to reveal the Father to us. And the Word was God. He was divine. He was not a God. He was God. And that's a summary of three weeks' worth of sermons. But here it is this one, the Word who was with God. The Word was 
the Word who was God. It's this one. This one was. His existence precedes the narrative of Genesis. The Word was there with God and was His companion in the work of creation. Look at verse 3 briefly. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. We saw last week that to be, oh, week before last, we saw, let me just say the last time I preached. That's less confusing. The last time I preached, we saw that the Father is a creator, the Son is a creator, the Spirit is a creator. It takes omnipotence to create something out of nothing. The only omnipotent is God. Therefore, the Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. And uh, I preached a Trinitarian sermon from that final text, from that final phrase there, or clause in verse 1. So the Son is there. The emphasis here, though, again, it's not just a repetition. The emphasis here is on co-eternality. He's eternal with the Father. Chrysostom, an early church fathers, takes this clause to mean, and rightly so, this one, the Word, was in the beginning, not of creatures, but in the beginning with God, in other words, whenever God existed, and that word whenever may trip us up because of the way, that, the way we use whenever, any time, but what he is referring to is a period of time when there was no time. That's when the word was with God. This is the one from, let me take you back to the psalm. This is the one from whom our help comes. Not only was the word there in the beginning with regards to that, that, that period of space where there is no time, I don't know how do you describe it, eternity past, but he was there in relation to another person who is also eternal. He was in the beginning with God. Note also, the point is not that it is no longer so, that he was with God, he is, is no longer with God. That's not his point at all. This was the case. The word was with God. And Jesus, throughout this gospel, speaks of his continued relationship and dependence upon God. J.C. Ryle notes that John declares that the same word who was eternal and was God was also from all eternity a person in the Godhead distinct from God the Father and yet with him by a most intimate and ineffable union. In short, there never was a time when Christ was not with God. 
That's why he says things like, I and the Father are one. The distinction in persons and the unity in essence is the point. You remember, if you remember our Sunday school class, we worked through that torturously long definition of the Trinity. Everybody loved it. People were crying. We read that definition. It was, I think that was the impact that was so great. I think that's why they were tears. The distinction in persons and unity in essence is the point. The eternity of Christ, his distinct personality, and his deity are stressed here. This one was. It was God, Father, Son, Spirit, and no other being that was there. When we get to verse 3, we'll see fuller the implicit reference to the Spirit. Let, let's, let me read it to you. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. How about things that were not made? Were they made by him? No. The Father was not made by him, neither was the Spirit. We'll look at that in more detail. What John begins to hint at here, I think he's making it very explicit. It was more than just a hint. I should reword that. What he states very clearly. Moses hints at in Genesis. And John later records in our Lord's Prayer a clear statement of this fact. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, verse 26, of course, this is the creation story. And God says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and so on and so forth. This is, this is what Moses is getting at here. In light of the gospel, then, of Christ, we see that there, at the very beginning, man is made in the image of his creator, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then later on in John, if you go to John 17, verse 5, and this is in the Lord's Prayer, not our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Not, not that Lord's Prayer, but Christ's own prayer to the Father. He says in John chapter 17, verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, alongside with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. This is what John is getting at as he begins his gospel. He wants us to see with clear eyes and wants to make it as clear as he possibly can 
that the Word was with God. This is what John wants us to understand. The union in the Godhead is in nature and essence and not only temporal. Jesus doesn't become part of God. Jesus doesn't become divine. The Son has always been and becomes or comes into the world. The God-man in the Incarnation. What we have to remember is this, is that whenever a truth is repeated in Scripture, like this truth before us, it serves to press upon our mind and our heart the necessity of believing the truth, of knowing the truth, and of living in light of the truth. It's not just for the sake of repetition or to fill up pages in a manuscript or in a Bible that God repeats himself. It's important for us to understand these things. We cannot rightly think. We cannot rightly live before God. We cannot rightly know God if we do not understand John 1, 2. Believe them, know them, and live in light of them. Believe them, know them, and live in light of them. In the beginning was the Word, the one who reveals God to man. And the Word was with God. He had an intimate relationship with him. And the Word was God. He, this one, was in the beginning with God. He was there. Some reasons now. Why does John then repeat this statement? What is it? Of course it's crucial to know this truth. He repeats the statement and it is a help to us in combating two particular errors. The first, that there are gods. So look at the passage. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, someone who is not a biblically minded might say to themselves, or confused might say to themselves, well, there are two gods, the Word and the God that he is with. So John writes this verse to combat this particular error. The Word and God whom the Word was with are two gods is the error. Hilary of Poitiers interprets this verse in this way. I say that the word is God, not as if he has a distinct divinity, I'm saying there are two gods, but is with God, that is, in the one same nature in which he is. He's interpreting that with. So, the question is, in verse 2, what does with mean? What does with mean? And what he is saying is, 
I'm elaborating now. John is using theological language and the with name in the same nature in which he is. The with means that in the beginning, this one, the word, who was in the beginning with God and was God, is one in essence and nature with God. The second error, so he combats this here. The second error that could be proposed is a division in wills. The father and the son are opposed in some way. You have the word and you have God. And they are distinct in such a way that there are two wills, two Separate desires. The father and the son are opposed in some way, but Hillary, but with the interpretation of Hillary of Poitier, I would just say Hillary, but then we might get, you know, might lead someone to the wrong conclusion if they just heard a sermon clip. (laughs) Hillary of Poitier sounds very pretentious. Now, I'm not saying it just because I like to say it, but I don't want anyone to be confused. But with Hilary of Portier's interpretation, the two are really three persons. The two have uh, uh, interpretation at hand. We see that the same identity of nature, right? We see that the two have the same identity of nature. Therefore, they have harmony of will. This union comes about by the sharing of the divine nature in the three persons. The three share the same nature. Therefore, the three are in perfect accord and agreement. And by the bond of the natural love that the Father has for the Son, this is everywhere in the gospel made clear to us. So, verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. Makes it very clear to us. The unity, the co-eternality, the divinity, the distinction in persons, all of these things are what John is highlighting. And now to our text in the Psalms. I want to take you back there to remind you. When we, as Christians, or even if you're sitting here and you're not a Christian, and you come in your life to a place of despair, and uh, uh, everyone does this, even unbelievers, and they're in a place of despair, and they're calling out to the void in the sky, what do they do? They look down. They look up. Our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help comes from this one. Verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. All things were made through the Son Everything. Have you ever thought about this? You know, the, uh, 
think of pieces of technology, right? So we have these phones. My phone here. So all of the stuff that was needed to make this phone, you know where it came from? <laughs> That's pretty funny. I, I thought you were a conspiracy theorist. I thought you were going to say aliens. <laughs> well, where is Taiwan and China? Where are they located on Earth? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, all right there. So all, everything that was needed to create this phone comes from this planet. Everything, every last bit of it. Even the technology, right? Because the technology is contained in our brains. So everything that we interact with in the entire universe, let's say we, let's say we were able to colonize Mars and you start digging and you dig up a cell phone. What? A Nokia, right? Block phone. You dig up a Nokia block phone. The Lord Jesus, you can say, in the most ultimate sense, he made that. He made this phone. All things were made through him. So we look at creation and we see that everything was created by him, but not only that. And, and I think this is important for the Gospel of John, particularly verse 4, because Christ, our helper, is our creator. The one who was in the beginning with God is our creator, and he is the creator of all things. Listen to the way that Paul puts it in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul puts it this way. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power. All things were created through him and through him. Everything in creation, the things that we see and the things we do not see, uh, heaven, the angels there were created by him. They were created for him. Everything in existence, visible and invisible, it doesn't matter. All of those things were created through him and they were created for him. So you know what that means? You were created through him and for him. What would you do? Some of you have uh, are builders. Let's say you're building a deck behind your house or let's say you're building a computer program or you're baking a cake. You're doing what? Maybe you're building a stable for your horse. 
and it doesn't work. And it's so bad that it's absolutely useless to you. What do you do with the thing? You scrap it. You scrap it. You get rid of it, right? You wipe the computer. I don't need this software anymore. It's no good to me. The deck is so lopsided, you know, I can't use this thing. The cake tastes horrible. I, I thought the... I thought the flour was the baking soda, and the baking soda was the flour, right? Now, instead of having dessert, I'm brushing my teeth. You scrap it. You throw it away. Yet that is not what Christ does. That is not what our Savior does. The one to whom we look to the one who gives us aid from heaven does not abandon us. From heaven he came and sought help. What he does is, when he sees his people languishing in the bondage of sin and unrighteousness, he doesn't say, let's scrap it. He says, I will step down from heaven and redeem that people for myself. Turn back to John. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. All of creation, whatever it might be. And here I said, implicitly, you have a reference to the Spirit. The Spirit was not created. You don't have a text that ever says that. So everything created was created by the Son. The Spirit was not created Therefore, the Spirit was not created by the Son. And now this one who is our helper, the creator, he is also the one who sustains our very life. Look at verse 4. In him was life. In him was life. Turn to John. 1 John, chapter 5, verse 1. In him was life. First John 5, 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever, excuse me, and everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. It's the first part of the verse that I want to look at. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, which means you have new life. This is absolutely true. It's everywhere in the Gospel of John. It's very clearly stated here. That's not the point of John 1, 4. The point of John 4 is that life itself is found in the Son of God. All of life. That's why he can say to Lazarus, when Lazarus is in the tomb, Lazarus, come out. And a man who was dead, stinking, rotting in the grave for three days, I believe it was three days, how many ever days, was thinking, rotting in the grave, he can come back to life. 
Not only is he the creator, but he is the possessor of life itself. We have five minutes. This is the one from whom our help comes. Let me end this way then. If as a Christian, you are struggling with any difficulty of heart and you lift your eyes to heaven to pray, know that the one who is there interceding for you, who is hearing your prayers, is the creator of the world and is the source of life itself. He is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, and he can and will hear and he will answer according to his will. Have great confidence in this. Brothers and sisters, we'll return to this passage next week. So uh, I thought I was going to preach three verses, but we got two. It's not bad. Let's, we'll return to this text next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. And we thank you for Christ, our helper and our hope our creator and the sustainer of life in this world. We ask, Lord, that you would impart life to those who are in this room this morning who do not believe. And for those of us who have trusted in the Lord Jesus, we ask you, Lord, to sustain us and to strengthen us, to help us, Lord, and to continue with confidence and hope to trust in you. Amen.